This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. California's decision to ban the sales of gasoline-powered cars after 2035 has gotten a lot of headlines, but there's much more to the story than just the headlines, and we'll tell you all about it. We have an expert who can tell you about that. Maybe a couple experts, really. Will self-driving cars go on sale to the public soon? Some bold predictions have been made about autonomous cars. Now a major automaker is saying, not so fast. We'll tell you all about that and add our commentary coming up. And another major car maker has just started to build electric vehicles in an American factory. We'll tell you all about that and how it fits or doesn't fit into the new green vehicle push. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash auto insurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. We love hyphens on this show, Matt. I'm Jack Nierad. With me is guest host Matt DiLorenzo. Of course, Matt has been on the show before. He is an automotive expert and has a new book out. It's called How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. I can attest to the fact that uh, Matt's maybe a little bit of a tightwad, but he's a great guy and uh, so knowledgeable. Matt, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Glad to be here, Jack. You're coming to us, I think, from Michigan today, right? I mean, you, you get around just like America on the Road. Uh, yeah, I used to live here for about 19 years and uh, have a lot of friends. And I'm actually back here on vacation for a little golf. Yeah, so. I like that. Yep. Good for you. Good for you. Well, you know, smack them straight if you can. It's, it's impossible <laughs> yeah. to me. What vehicle will you be talking about uh, on this week's show? I had the opportunity to drive the new Lexus RX, uh, which is... Um, you know, sort of the progenitor of the uh, crossover luxury SUV and uh, really an interesting vehicle. A lot to say about that. Yeah. Well, I had a chance to drive it, too, and I love your take on it. We can swap stories about that. I also got the chance to drive the Lincoln Navigator Black Label this week. It's a massive and massively comfortable luxury SUV, and it's stuffed with tech. So I hope I'll have enough time to talk about all that tech. We have a great guest for you as well, Melvin Batista is Hyundai product planning manager and an expert on the 2023 Hyundai Palisade. And both Matt and I had a chance to drive that recently too uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. So we'll talk about that. But before we do anything else, we're going to be bringing you some of the most important auto information from around the world. So stay with us with Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt DiLorenzo, Jack Red with us. Chris T. can't be with us this week, but we have Matt with us. And uh, Matt and I have kind of been traveling on the, on the same road recently, driving the same cars and doing that kind of stuff. Of course, we worked together for a long time, so it's great to have Matt on the show. Thanks for being with us. Good to be here, Jack. And we got a ton of interesting news to talk about. And I really, uh, for one reason, you're an expert on electric cars because you've written this book, among other things. But uh, you know, certainly you've been following the scene forever and ever and ever and lived in California, lived in uh, the, the Detroit area as well. I know the industry as well as anybody. This California Air Resources Board ban of the sale of new gas-powered vehicles, that's the big headline. I think there's a lot of nuance to this that needs to be talked about, though. And, you know, let's dive into that. What, what do you think is the most important uh, part of this whole edict? Well, I think the thing is that it's not a ban on the sale of of uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. 
it's a requirement that the vehicles that are sold are zero emission. And that can mean a lot of things. 20% of the vehicles sold under this so-called band or edict could be plug-in hybrids with an internal combustion engine. So, you know, there's a lot of nuance here. We don't know if manufacturers will be able to buy ZEV credits to continue sales of cars. There are so many holes in this thing. Um, I think as we move closer to that magic 2035 date, you're going to see a lot of changes to this um, to this so-called ban on, on uh, gas-powered vehicles. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't see it happening, number one. And here's, here's one of the, the major reasons I don't see it happening. Within this new regulation, 35% of new passenger vehicles sold would need to be powered by batteries or by hydrogen by 2026. You know, we're not trying, you know, when people right. see the headline 2035, oh, that's a whole different decade. I can't even picture that. But 2026 is right around the corner and those cars are developed and, and ready and basically set for sale. So to have manufacturers change that around to go from, I think in California, it might be 15 or 16 percent are battery electric vehicles, which is a much higher than the, in the rest of the country. But to double that percentage in in three years time, and I think that's absolutely crazy. It's wacky. Well, I think that's the that's the real problem is that they leave the market out of the equation. They automatically assume that this is going to happen. And if the market doesn't respond in the way that they've predicted, they're going to throw dealers out of work. They're going to ride the, the price of new cars are going to skyrocket in California. And there are going to be a lot of voters who are going to vote a lot of people out of office and things will change. Right. Well, in the price of used cars, the price of used gasoline cars is going to go through the roof, too. The you know, I think this is uh, I found this very funny. Under the plan, Californians who already own gasoline cars will be allowed to keep them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice, huh? I, yeah. This really is America. Then we're allowed to keep them, but I, you know, I should backtrack a little bit and go over some some more of these percentages. Fifty-one percent of the cars sold in California are supposed to be zero emission by 2028, so more than half that are being right. sold. Good luck on that. Sixty-eight percent by 2030, and then 100 percent by 2035. I mean, yeah. as a, a longtime observer of this industry, Matt, what's your take on that? Well, I think uh, there's, a, again, a lot of loopholes in there. If you buy a car out of state or move into state, a new car, you're going to be allowed to register and use it. So, um, again, I think there's going to be some court cases coming out of it. This is really going to impact uh, new car dealers. So there's just too many things going on too quickly for the market to digest. And I think we're going to, it will have to change at some point. Yeah. I really think this is political posturing more than anything else. I mean, the politicians who are putting that out there now won't have to answer in 2035, but they probably will have to answer in 2026 uh, (laughs) if one isn't, uh, hasn't run for president already. Uh, (laughs) We'll see what happens there. Well, another thing we alluded to earlier in the show is this thing about self-driving vehicles. Of course, there's a lot of brave talk about autonomous vehicles hitting the road soon and all of that. We see some semblance of self-driving in things like GM Super Cruise. We talked about that on the the show recently. But that's really level two versus level four or five uh, kind of autonomous driving. Now, I think there's a, a voice of sanity where the folks at Toyota recently had kind of a, um, a seminar about f- future product and said, hey, 
we don't think that self-driving is going to be there for years and years and years. What's your take on that, Matt? I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, they were saying by 2030 we were going to have a you know level five autonomous cars. I think the problem is that people tend to um, uh, lump together driver assist or assisted driving with autonomous driving, and they're two different things. And I think there's nothing wrong with being able to take your hands off the wheel or getting warnings or steering assist. Um, that's all part of like situational awareness or helping the driver not get into trouble. Having the vehicle completely uh, drive without any input from a human is a totally different subject. And unfortunately, everybody's seen the path to autonomous as going through the assisted driving channel. And it, it, they're two different things. So I think reality is setting in that it's much more difficult to teach a machine how to drive than it is to teach a person how to drive. Yeah. And especially in all situations, right? I mean, human right. judgment is reacting to a lot of things. And you can say what you will about drivers and their judgment, but most of the people are doing most of the things right most of the time, right? And to get a machine to do something like a four-way stop, I just yeah. don't know how they do it. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I think the, the cars would be stalled there for hours on end, you know, unless uh, some, somebody, somebody needs to break a rule a little bit. To, right. to get that log jam to stop, right? If if people were as bad a drivers as the proponents of autonomous cars say they are, the carnage on the roads today would be unacceptable. So, uh, you know, maybe go a little slower on this autonomous driving thing. Well, Mercedes-Benz is the manufacturer that is now building EVs in the United States. And I think a couple months ago, they probably thought, wow, this is a really good idea. We're going to build these vehicles close to the market in which they're going to sell a lot of them. But now, because of the new rules about content within the EVs, this might not even be necessarily a great thing for them. I mean, what's your, what's your take overall on what's going to happen here with uh, manufacturing? It's kind of convoluted now, isn't it? It really is. And I think that there's a lot of manufacturers like Mercedes and, and others who feel kind of had by the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that changed, you know, the rules were fairly stable for a long period of time about who qualified for the credits, how much they would get. They had a cap of 200,000 units. Well, they lifted that 200,000 unit cap, but the vehicles have to be built in the U.S. So automatically there are some affordable EVs out there like the Hyundai Kona, uh, the Kia Niro, no longer eligible for the tax credits. The other part of it is the cap on the cost of the car. So any car costing more than $55,000 uh, is not eligible, and any truck or SUV costing more than $80,000 is not eligible. And guess where Mercedes, which would be eligible if they built the car here in the U.S., it's going to probably fall outside uh, those parameters and right. not be eligible for the tax. Break. Well, and there's also eligibility eligibility of the the buyer, right, and and what right. their income is. And you know, right. I've gone on record many times as not favoring any time, uh, kind of tax credits for any anybody or any anybody and anything. I don't want to have tax credits for corporations or individuals of any way, shape, or form. Let the market decide and let people vote with their dollars about what they want to buy and how much they want to pay. And I think that works the best for everybody. Now, it's one man's opinion on all of that. I know, but as a shameless person who took a $7,500 tax credit on my leaf, thank you, America. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
thanks to that you know sales clerk and the the guy who's driving a truck at uh, right. uh, to subsidize uh, that purchase. Don't feel guilty, Matt. I understand. <laughs> no, I won't. I understand. And when there's, I mean, it just shows you when there's free money, it's right. hard not to say, hey, I, you know, I'm going to uh, reach in and grab some. But you know, again, that shows that the the disparity between buying a gas car and electric at this point. That $7,500 is the tipping point. And if you want um, uh, EV adoption, that premium has to go away somehow, either through a tax rebate or lower costs. And we haven't seen lower costs yet. Well, when we come back, we will be reviewing some cars, including the very important 2023 Lexus RX that both Matt Lorenzo and I got a chance to drive. And I'll be driving and talking about the Lincoln Navigator as well. So stay with us for that. With Matt Lorenzo. this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt Lorenzo. This is Jack Red with you, and it is road test time on America on the Road. And we have an important vehicle for Lexus, for Toyota, uh, for the world uh, in terms of where the market is going. The Lexus RX is all new for 2023. Both Matt Lorenzo and I have driven it uh, fairly recently. Uh, what's your take on this vehicle, Matt? It's a very important vehicle, as you as you mentioned. I mean, it sort of created this crossover luxury uh suv segment and um the new rx goes back to its roots they drop the l the three row version and they just have a two row version um it's really i i would say the styling is pretty good but there's still some people who may be a little polarized by the front end spindle grill it's still a massive big grill so you'll you'll there's a lot of styling in that car isn't there There sure is (laughs) you'll you'll notice one when it's coming up behind you on the on the highway but it's really well executed um there are no fewer than four different powertrains available three at launch they have a gas in both uh front and all-wheel drive a hybrid uh which will come in all-wheel drive and then a sort of a uh, more powerful hybrid. Yeah, they call it a performance hybrid, right? The RX 500H, yeah. and then they're going to have a plug-in hybrid. So there's going to be actually four engines, drivetrain combinations to choose from. Now, I drove, I, you know, my favorite one was the gas one. I like hybrids. Uh, the 500 hybrid performance one is a terrific car. It has a six-speed automatic transmission in place of the CVT, so it drives more like a regular car. The hybrid still uses a CVT, and I'm not a big CVT fan, so the acceleration feels a little lazy. It's just it's just not as sharp or um, as much fun to drive as the 500, but the gas version with all-wheel drive, that's the one to get. Uh, it has you know uh, really good power, you get the all-wheel drive version, and then you'll, you'll avoid things like a little bit of torque steer, and then the extra traction from the rear wheels being engaged um, actually sharpens up the handling. And that was the car that I was I was happy happiest in. The 500, though, I, I tell you, they have a noise canceling system in it. It's much quieter, much more luxurious. But I'm sure you're going to pay a hefty um, premium to go uh, with that model over the over the gas version. Yeah, they did really did not have pricing about any of these vehicles. They don't they also don't think that the performance uh, version 
Oh, it's in a lot of ways going to be a halo for the brand, right, or for the, for that particular model, as opposed to a lot of volume. I think they're talking about five percent of the volume being that model, where it's close to seventy percent. I think will be the basic conventional gas version of this vehicle. Right. The the other thing um, I didn't like about the vehicle is its over reliance on touchscreen for certain things like driving modes. I'm a big button fan or even having the buttons, even if they're on a touchscreen, accessible. And, and I think they made a big mistake in not uh, being able to switch the car from like a power to an uh, economy mode or uh, sport mode with just a touch of a button, you you actually have to take your eyes off the road and dig through a couple of screens on on the uh, on the display, and that's a big distraction and and uh, something they really need to rethink. Well, and I think in in particular for a Lexus RX driver, right? Not necessarily spring chickens here, although they are going after millennials <laughs> as opposed to right. um, the older crowd. I mean, it's ba- basically been a baby, a baby boomer mobile for a long, long time, and the 800-pound gorilla in that segment for ever and ever. But I think those those folks like buttons. You know, those folks don't want to wade through a lot of screens. It's, as you say, kind of distracting. And I- yeah, and I, you know, I think the other thing, too, is that they can pursue younger buyers. I don't have a problem with that. But I think a lot of manufacturers miss the boat that there are some vehicles that are life stage vehicles and that uh, millennials are going to be our age at some point. <laughs> and they're still going to want to buy <laughs> If they're cars. lucky. And, yeah. yeah, if they're lucky. So, you know, I don't, I, this, this sort of relentless pursuit of going after, you know, trying to be young and hip and doing things that make the vehicle not as convenient to use for all people is is uh, I think they're chasing I, I think they're chasing the wrong objective here. Right, because I, I really do like the vehicle. Maybe we're being a little negative about things, <laughs> but I think in, in terms of the overall driving situation, it, it drives just really, really well in all of the configurations. It's certainly one you have to consider if you're in that market, right? Right, and, and you can get it in copper. <laughs> Boy, can you? Canyon. I mean, they that signature color <laughs> at the event where they were showing them. It's like, wow, here's a bunch of copper. Car. And I, I think maybe that's way too out there for this particular market. But I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. I yeah. mean, I think that's a surprising thing. Our color choices that uh, uh, manufacturers are trying to stand out from each other and get away from the silver, black, white, uh, gray uh, palette. So. Yeah, which is what apparently people want, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what True. people are buying. So, But overall, what's your take before we uh, start talking about Lincoln Navigator? I think they've done an excellent job. You know, uh, Toyota's build quality, um, the, the powertrains, uh, the comfort, and the convenience of, of, of using the vehicle is, is, is right there. And it, it's another home run for them. Yeah, I think they'll sell a ton of them. And, uh, you know, that is really the Lexus franchise. So uh, congratulations for them on, on getting that right. And uh, we're talking about another uh, luxury SUV right now. And it is the Lincoln Navigator. I was driving a black label version. And, of course, you drove its sister version, the uh, Ford Expedition, in a recent, and talked about it on a recent show. But uh, they've kind of gone out of their way, I think, to differentiate Lincoln Navigator from Expedition, which kind of makes sense. They're charging a lot more money, and uh, it's competing against different vehicles, including, in some ways, the uh, RX, maybe not directly. 
uh, with the RX, but uh, you know, certainly in the luxury uh, area. And uh, so it too has <laughs> a major grill, I guess, if you're going to be a luxury brand. <laughs> You have to have a just an oppressively large grill, right? It's just got to be way in your face. I think in the in the Lincoln though, it it just it looks pretty good actually. It, it kind of is pleasing to the eye. They have some, you know projector headlamps uh, next to it, 3D tail lamps, which I kind of like the depth in the tail lamp, all that kind of stuff. But um, it's hard not to dive into all the tech that's on the Navigator because those are many of the differentiating features of this. You know, big three-row truck-based SUV. It's based basically on the uh, Ford F-150 pickup truck platform. Um, it offers Active Glide, which is their version of uh, GM Super Cruise, and allows it to, I, I guess it's basically a level two system. Uh, it allows the vehicle to do some steering, inc including hands-off and accelerate and decelerate on its own. But you have to be paying attention. And it's looking at you, just as the RX was looking at your eyes. <laughs> if you kind of were sightseeing, it was kind of giving you a little you know, nudge. Hey, do something about this, or a little uh, note. So that's in the Navigator. It works quite well. Again, you kind of have to jump off the pier and trust it. But uh, what's your take on these uh, self, kind of level two self-driving systems like Super Cruise and Active Glide? Again, I think it's like an extension of Active uh, Cruise Control. And I'm not a big cruise control. I like driving the car. So, yeah. but I, I have noticed a difference in, in especially the, the the speed sensitive ones. It does reduce uh, a little bit of driver fatigue. Um, I just don't. I you, you got to rest your hands somewhere. So why don't you rest them on the wheel? Yeah. And if you got to pay attention, why don't you pay attention and then right. actually drive the car? It's you know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and you're more likely to drift off. If you're not, you know, your hands aren't on the wheel or somehow you're engaged with the vehicle. Yeah. So, I, you know, some people may like it. You know, it's again, it's like cruise control. It's it's fine. They're expensive. You know, you're going to spend a lot of money for them. And um, they're somewhat limited in a what they can do and the, and the number of miles. Now, Super Cruise has said that they've just doubled from 200,000 to 400,000 miles of road. But primarily, they're good for freeway trips. So. Yeah, and certainly the, uh, the Navigator's Active Glide system is that way. Uh, right. They haven't expanded the way uh, GM Super Cruise has. Uh, this also has, uh, the Navigator has Sync 4, their infotainment system, pretty good. Uh, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, which I like, and which is not as prevalent as you would think. They have designed the interface to look different because it's in a luxury vehicle. So it's the Sync 4 behind the scenes, but it has what they call the Constellation vis Visible Design. Big screens, you know, 13.2 center stack screen, kind of almost overpowering. But it has some dedicated buttons too, so, you know, within the car for controls, so I like that. It has Alexa built in, so Alexa's eavesdropping on you. And Fire TV, so the folks in the backseat can watch movies, dream movies and do that kind of stuff. It has, this This is a kind of a mind-blowing audio system, Matt. Uh, the, Re, uh, the Revell Ultima audio system has 28 speakers. I mean, wow. that's like beyond belief, isn't it? I mean, 28 speakers? Yeah, yeah. Can't count them all. Yeah. I, and where do they put them all? <laughs> yeah. I, I do give Lincoln and even uh, Cadillac credit. They're offering every bit 
uh, the amount of luxury in those vehicles at a significant uh, savings. Yeah, I mean, and you're getting just a ton of metal. <laughs> you're getting yeah. a ton of car, Big car uh, you know, yeah. or a couple tons probably, or close to three tons of car. Uh, it has plenty of power. I haven't talked about the driving experience very much because it's kind of secondary to the tech in a lot of ways. It drives just fine. Very, very comfortable. It's a separate body and frame vehicle, so there's nice isolation. 440 horsepower from a twin-turbo V6 engine, not a V8 engine. 510 pound-feet of torque, so plenty of torque. Not the most agile of vehicles, but more agile than you would guess. Overall, I think this is a very good value, and I think uh, Lincoln has done a good job with this, kind of revamping their building on a, a good chassis, uh, has good safety equipment. I think overall, quite a good value, and uh, very differentiated, I think, from the Ford Expedition that you talked about a few weeks ago. It's our modern limousine. <laughs> Absolutely you know? true. And, and I think that that's why people buy them. Comfortable ride, very quiet, great for families. Right. Well, when we come back, we will have a great guest for you. Melvin Batista is the Hyundai product planning manager. He's the expert on the 2023 Hyundai Palisade that both Matt and I drove in Asheville, North Carolina recently. So stay with us for that interview. With Matt Lorenzo. this is Jack Nierad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you. We're in Asheville, North Carolina, with a great guest. Melvin Batista is a product planning manager with Hyundai. I'm proud to say I was here for the launch of the, of the Palisade. Now I am for kind of the revamp of the Palisade. Let's talk a bit about the midsize Hyundai Palisade. Yeah, so we have a, it's a mid-cycle refresh. And as you mentioned, a, a few years ago, we launched the vehicle. It was a new vehicle in the segment. Um, it got raving reviews. Uh, we had a great product, and we made it even better for 2023. You were entering a uh, new, kind of a new segment for you with this vehicle. As recently as 10 years ago, you didn't have very many SUVs at all, very right. many crossovers. You really joined that parade with a lot of vehicles, and this is certainly an important one. This is an important segment, isn't it? Yes, it is. You know, the midsize SUV segment is a very mature segment, a very large segment. It does about 1.8 million units a year. Um, and it's expected to hold that amount. And so we're really looking forward to that um, with the new Palisade. And you were a newcomer, uh, really. I mean, Ford Explorer had dominated this segment, and Nissan Pathfinders in the segment, Honda Pilot, Toyota Highlander. I mean, it's a pretty daunting competition, right? Yes. You came in and, and got some volume right away. How do you think you were able to do that? Well, you know what? It's very interesting. You know, when we took a look at some of our owner data, um, one of the things that stood out was uh, the fact that um, the Palisade was not the number one vehicle of their choice. Um, mainly it was the Pilot, the Highlander, the Explorer, as you mentioned. But I think what they ended up seeing was just the value of, of the equipment that you're getting. There's so many high-tech features, so many features that aren't even offered in the segment that we have on the Palisade. And so it really gives it um, a very unique position, more of the upper echelon. Yeah, it's kind of premium, isn't it? I it's mean, very it, premium. In, in a lot of ways, uh, there's premium content even in the mid-level. Yeah. And then when you get up to the calligraphy level, the, the high t really high level, there's some stuff that you just absolutely can't get in, in the competition. Yeah, correct? and you know, one of, the, one of the great things with the Palisade is we've been really successful in selling our upper calligraphy or our upper limited trims, which means that it's it's got all the great content. It's got all the bells and whistles that we're marketing and advertising. So it really puts it in a unique position when you compare it to everybody else. Yeah. Well, new stuff for 2023. 
it's on the market now. Tell us a bit about the stuff you're most excited about. With the yeah, one of my favorite ones is what we call the um, digital key. So it's, it's, it's the second generation. It's our digital key to touch is what we're calling it. And really the biggest thing that you're getting here is the um, compatibility with the iPhone. So with a digital key, you actually don't need your phone. Uh, I'm sorry, you don't, you need, don't need your the key. Your, key, your, key fob, right. your phone is your key. And mm -hmm. so you're able to enter the vehicle, you're able to put it on the wireless charger and start the vehicle on its own. But the other great thing is um, if you're familiar with the Apple Wallet or Samsung Pass, um, it uses that technology where you just get your phone and you hold it up against the door handle and it'll unlock it. So is that near-field communications? Is that it, what is, that is? Yeah. it is near-field communications. And um, you know, one of the other interesting things is when you, um, you know, have this digital key, you're able to, I can text you access to the vehicle. I can set right. restrictions. I can have And then you can play a joke on me and have me drive somewhere and then turn it off. Yes. <laughs> I'll have to hitchhike home. Right? Yeah. And in addition to that, one of the other cool features is the remote smart parking assist, right? And so what that is, is through the key fob or the digital key app, um, you're able to outside of the vehicle park in and out of a parking spot. So if you've got a really tight spot, right. it's a you big see one of those compact spaces, yes. right? Yes. And, uh, it can be tough to open the doors in those kind yes. of spaces. Yes. So that makes a lot of sense. You can get out of the car. It will drive in, you know, at your command. Yes. And then you can stop it and, and reverse the process when it comes time to leave. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, you've done some stuff in terms of comfort, creature comforts, right? Yes. I mean, uh, third row creature comforts, mm -hmm. for example. I mean, that, that strikes me as uh, pretty cool for that third row, kind of the neglected third row folks, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the Palisade is our, our flagship SUV. So that's where we throw everything. And really, the big focus is convenience, but passenger convenience. Because of it's a family-oriented vehicle, you're putting a lot of people in the vehicle. You've got things like first, second, and third row heated seats that are available. You've got ventilated seats that are in the first and second. You've got USB-C charge ports on both sides of the third row seat. So it's really just giving the people in the vehicle as much access and connectivity with really comfort and convenience. And then their smartphone as well. Yeah, and connectivity. Uh, Wi-Fi hotspot for mm -hmm. the first time, I think, in, in this vehicle. Yes, which it is. is important, right? It is for Hyundai, and it's a great thing because it really fits in with our target audience for the for the for the Palisade. And the great thing is, is you know, with the Wi-Fi hotspot, we offer a free trial. In addition to that, um, it's twenty dollars a month through Verizon. And so, you know, say you're going on a trip for a week, uh, you could activate it, you know, for one month and pay twenty bucks, and then just deactivate it when you're done. You get the kids quiet while you're on your road trip. Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, we talked a lot lot about what's inside the vehicle but you know this is a refresh and it has a different look yes. uh, and kind of a more of a family resemblance and I think a, a, a kind of a more vibrant exterior too. Tell about uh, tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, the main main thing you'll see on the Palisade you're going to notice is the front grille area. It's much more prominent. It gives it a very um, premium on-road presence um, just by the wide kind of stance that it looks and then the overhang we made it a little bit longer in the front to give it more of a long kind of luxurious look. Was uh, Is there a little bit of jealousy with uh, the way people seem to favor the Kia Telluride styling? You know, essentially the same vehicle under the skin. I think there's a lot to like about the Palisade. I kind of gravitated yeah. to the Palisade right away, but a lot of people were going Telluride. I think maybe this puts you in a better yeah. position. No, and I think, you know, one of the one of the major differences that we hear from, from the journalists and from media and everybody is 
from the design itself, right, Hyundai is, in my opinion, it's more classy, it's more luxurious, it's more of an upscale vehicle. Whereas a Telluride, it's a little bit more clear they're going for more of the off-road rugged type, you know, buyer and whatnot. And so I think that's where we have a really clear distinction. But in addition to that, we're also adding other things as well, just to take away a little bit of that luxury kind of two flashy look and give it more of a toned down or kind of an even keeled kind of look. We are introducing a new trim called the XRT um, and it's an exterior appearance package that gives um, basically a blackout appearance um, with the black wheels. They're it's good looking. Yeah. It really is good looking. Yeah. And it's to give it a more of a rugged appearance for the ones that want that look, right? right. And so, you know. But it's really kind of more of an on-road package than an off-road package, right? Some of these packages, or at least quasi off-road, this has 20-inch wheels, for example. I, I think it does. Yes, yes. Uh, and that kind of stuff that's kind of appearance and, and, and cool appearance. Right? Yes, it is It is meant um, as an appearance. So, you know, from a, from a mechanical standpoint, um, yeah, it, it's not, uh, you know, you're not going to get that kind of capability. Yeah. As is with, you know, some of the other. Although today we did uh, a bit of off-road. I yes. wouldn't say heavy, heavy off-road, but we did some off-roading with uh, essentially the standard vehicles. I think I was in a calligraphy yes. model, Yes. Uh, for example. Uh, so there's some capability there, right? Yeah, you know, with, with Hyundai, we, with the Palisade, we have our advanced H-Track all-wheel drive system. So it is very capable. Um, you know, like you said, we took some very light off-roading. Um, it was probably, what, a good 12, 15-mile course that took about an hour. Um, but it was very slow going over some pretty aggressive, you know, potholes and bumps and, and, and things in that nature. And yeah, it, it performed really well. Got the tires dirty, that's for sure. <laughs> What's the mix like? I mean, uh, Hyundai is a value brand. Yes. Uh, at the same time, kind of premium in it, <laughs> at the same, uh, which maybe is in some ways contradictory, but in, in your case, it doesn't seem to be, right? No. So one, tell us about it. Yeah, that. you know, one of the things that, that's really gotten me excited, as, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, you know, the, the mix of the vehicles that we're selling, you know, it, it's a very high price point. It's actually among the, the, the leaders in the segment in terms of the actual price that, that customers are paying for the vehicle. And the interesting thing is, you know, over 70% is over $45,000 of the total purchase price. Now, mind you, with everything going on today, but it's still above everybody else in the segment when you compare that. And so what that's telling me is basically, you know, the customers are recognizing that the, the, the great value, um, the safety features, the technology, the styling, everything in the vehicle is very well packaged. Yeah, I think when you're all in and you're around $50,000 or you know, right around that, I think with the calligraphy model, with all the stuff, mm -hmm. and including a bunch of stuff that you can't get on a lot of the competitors, yes, yes. Um, Napa leather and some, some really upscale yeah, kind one, of stuff. One of my, fa my favorite feature is the Ergomotion driver's massaging seat. So I went to Las Vegas recently with the family and it's a great feeling because there's little air pockets in the cells in your pelvic and lumbar area and it basically just applies pressure as you're driving like you're getting a little massage like a massaging chair mm -hmm. um, and it also does it with the bolsters as well so it gives you your whole body just gives get the blood flowing you know when you're going when I was trip. driving today with my co-driver he said suddenly it started to massage him <laughs> does that happen I mean does it understand that uh, maybe it, you need a little it does and, so yeah. there's what we're, what we're calling it is a smart posture support so basically what that is is if you're familiar with the lumbar oh right? I am and so yeah <laughs> so the the, the sidebar you have the ability to fold them in and out but in addition to that if you're driving for a long amount of time or you speed up or you put it into the sport drive mode mm. it'll automatically 
pull in the bolsters a little bit just to kind of give you, you a little place. bit, yeah, yeah keep you in place. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. What is your favorite feature uh, and maybe or a favorite new feature of the 2023? You know what? There, there's really two things because every I find myself every time I'm in the Palisade, I'm with my family, right? And so obviously the main thing for me is safety. So there's two really big things is what we call the blind view monitor. So it uses the same systems as the 360 surround view monitor, but when you do your turn signal on the dash, you get a video feed of your blind spot. And it's really nice in a sense that it just gives you an idea of what's behind you, right? That you can't see. So it really helps out. And then the other thing, like I said, especially going to Las Vegas, we have a new, um, our highway driving assist system, which um, you know integrates our smart, the smart cruise control. So it's adaptive. You have the ability to stop and go depending what the car, you know, the, it'll automatically stop and go. But in addition to that, there's some additional hardware that gives sensors, that gives other safety functions that will apply brakes, that will slow the vehicle down, that will help steering assist. Um, you'll also get, you even get um, steering wheel vibrations as well, just to let you know you're veering out of your lane, there's a car coming into you. But at the same time, this is all being done with cruise control. And it's automatically steering, it's automatically speeding up, slowing down, changing lanes, one of the cool things is there's an automatic lane change assist. So if you're in cruise control, you flip your right signal. If it's clear, the vehicle is going to automatically lane change, and then you just go on driving. Go on driving. Yeah. Yes. And uh, there is also some support at intersections, right? I mean, intersections are really pretty dangerous. That's l uh, largely where uh, danger lies yes. for a lot of driving. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that involves um, our forward collision avoidance assist system. So it's basically the emergency braking system, right? And so what we've done is we've enhanced that, again, with additional hardware like front radars, front corner radars, rear corner radars. What that does basically is it's basically a, another set of eyes for you mm -hmm. um, all around your vehicle. And so it's detecting and, and taking a look of everything that's going on around you. And, and trying to keep you, um, you know, if you're making a left on an intersection, what we call junction turning, um, the vehicle has the ability to stop. There's also junction crossing. So if someone's crossing, you know, very quickly, you don't see them in the corner of your eye, the vehicle is going to detect that, provide a warning, and apply the brakes if needed. So it's a very intelligent system in that way right. that it's, you kind of have an angel over your shoulder trying to help you. Yeah, I mean, that can be life-saving. Give our uh, listeners, as we're winding down here, some sense of the price range of Palisade for 2023, because you start at a pretty value price, and then even <laughs> even at the high end, it's not really, really expensive in the overall scheme. Yeah, so our AC, our SE trim model uh, starts a little bit under 35000 and then it tops out at about 50000 uh, once you get the, the full you know bells and whistles, and then that's for the front-wheel drive model. And then we also have the H-Track all-wheel drive as a standalone option yeah. on all the trims. And how much does that cost? How much is this? Uh, I believe it's, I want to say it's $1,900 for, yeah. for the walk to a four-wheel drive. Um, equipment is basically the same between front-wheel drive and right. all-wheel drive. Yeah, so you can add that all-wheel drive if you want, depending on where you live and whether that would be useful or not on any of the trims. Which yes. is, and there's a lot of trims to choose from. Well, uh, thanks so much for being with us, Melvin uh, Batista of Hyundai, talking about the 2023 Hyundai Palisade. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Red with you. And it is listener question time. Unfortunately, Christine couldn't be with us this week, but Matt filling in so ably. Thanks so much for doing that, Matt. And I think we've got a great listener question for you, and I really want to hear your take on this. 
This comes from Rain in Richmond, Virginia. Do you think the Chinese car companies will ever enter the American market? I've been hearing about them for years now, but as far as I know, none of them have made a big attempt to sell cars here. Why is that? And will that change? They're here already <laughs> through the back door. I mean, the Buick Envision and uh, uh, some Volvos come from China. But for the most part, they're not. I, I mean, they're going to get beaten to this market by the Vietnamese with VinFast. And, and I think the, the reason why is that a small country like, like Vietnam needs to export in order for their uh, industry to, to thrive and survive. Uh, the Chinese market is so huge that I think that a lot of the, the makers there are serving that market rather than striking out uh, in new markets like the U.S. or Europe. Yeah, I mean, this is a crowded market and kind of a mature market, too, right? where the Chinese are operating in somewhat of a third world, at least, or a, a, a really growing market. I mean, in our lifetime, we have seen the Chinese market overtake the American market as being the largest car market in the world by a lot of cars now, you know, millions of units. And so I think it's probably easier for them to compete at home than it is over here. I, I think the other part of it is that uh, they're building vehicles that aren't particularly attuned to the U.S. market now. They're very heavily in the EVs. It's a big uh, family car sedan market. That's where, like, the Buick LeSabre has gone to die. So a lot of these cars that we no longer see here, uh, big five-passenger full-size cars that aren't being sold in the U.S. are actually thriving right now in China. So for them to try and come into a shrinking segment like that, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, it just doesn't pencil for them. Well, I guess that's our show for the week. And uh, it goes so fast. I, I love talking with you, Matt, about cars and about everything for that matter. Thanks so much for doing this with us. We appreciate it. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Jack, for having me on. And thanks so much for listening to America on the Road. We do appreciate that. Thanks to the SportsMap radio network stations for carrying America on the Road. And if you like America on the Road, pass it on to a friend who might like this show. We'd love that. And uh, Check us out on YouTube as well. You might enjoy that for grins, for sure. Uh, so join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road.